Hello and welcome to our new FIS podcast, Castaway, keeping you in the know on the shipping and commodity world where we're all at home quarantined. We know that working and business has changed dramatically in the past couple of months, so developing a range of resources to help keep you up to date on everything happening. If you'd like to find out more, you can visit our website, www.freightinvestorservices.com, or follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. FIS is fully functional. Every broker, every office, and every team is ready to help you with pricing, research, and operational assistance. Hello, and welcome to uh, week two of Castaway, the FIS podcast. Uh, and this week we have returning Alex, our MD of strategy. Uh, we have Kerry from home, head of business development. And we have special guest uh, Phil Stevens, who's head of FX dealing at Ebury. Hello, everyone. Hi there. Good morning. Hi, good morning. So let's uh, go through those headlines of that we've seen over the last week since uh, our last podcast. The US have had a kind of huge economic change, that's an unprecedented package, and a really interesting fact to bring to you to start with. The US Fed has bought more than $1 million of assets per second over the last two weeks. That is quite something. We've also had a kind of swathe of rating agency downgrades, huge um, monetary stockpiling, I guess, for these oil majors to get through the price collapse. It's been a kind of a big change just for a week for us. Maybe we should start doing these every couple of days to keep people up to date. But uh, let's start first, uh, straight into our special guest, Phil, talking about FX. And uh, I don't know whether you want to give a little general introduction of how what you've seen over the last week, perhaps in terms of uh, the FX trading, and then maybe just sort of drop into that US story and talk about the US dollar and where that's been moving. Yeah, not a problem at all. Well, look, thanks for having me. I think, you know, from the FX standpoint and dealing with UK clients that are specifically focused on the US dollar, they've been, you know, well, they've seen a massive strengthening over this sort of build-up of the virus in the last few weeks. Uh, obviously, seen a massive move down from people that were, you know, hedging and buying dollars at 130 all the way down to the sort of low 120 mark in uh, against the pound and even in euro dollar, right? A massive move. To, to, you know, sort of 108, 109 levels, a huge strengthening from people, obviously, safe haven buying, concerned um, about how the virus epidemic was going to affect markets. I think, you know, the, the more recent story was that there was a little bit of a sell-off in the dollar from the basis of, you know, this uh, massive intervention from the Fed. Uh, obviously, still discussions at the moment about whether there's another piece for them to add there. Um, I think there's a little bit of a, of a disagreement on different sides of this, uh, as to whether that's going to be needed. But yeah, the real story has just been a massive strengthening of the dollar. And I actually think the key story going forwards now is, well, with the virus continuing to spiral a little bit more out of control in the US than anywhere else, does that mean that people start to question the dollar as a safe haven play uh, and actually start to decide that... Uh, that maybe they should move funds elsewhere on the basis of uh, the virus moving out of control. I guess. And, and do you see that that kind of movement in the US dollar versus uh, Chinese currency in the, at this point? Because China's going back online after being shut down since January. They're reporting no new cases. Is there any movement there as the US starts to really see the impact of this virus? Well, yeah. So obviously, you know, at least from a reported perspective, it seems that you know, China has quelled the uh, the virus spreading and there are now many factories that have started to come back into operation and they've been doing so for the last week or so. Um, and in reality there, the real question is, 
uh, as they start to get production back up and going. I mean, even from a PMI perspective, you know, they posted some really low numbers and already those have come straight back in line. I mean, the manner in which that's been done is, is, is pretty incredible, to be honest. Um, and, you know, when we're looking at dollar renminbi and the sort of now already started to move back into the 705 range, I mean, there was a moment where the renminbi was weakening quite significantly. It was going to 713 and higher. Uh, a lot of sellers of, of renminbi into the dollar were quite concerned about that. And now it's starting to push back towards that seven level, which is obviously very key. Yeah, because a lot of those Chinese businesses, I mean, most of the major ones in the hardest provinces are now back online. Around about a quarter of smaller, medium-sized businesses are still yet to reopen. So I imagine that there's still some more to go there. The, the question of the US is a real important one of where they go from here, because New York State alone is really hardly very hard hit, let alone the rest of the country and what economic forces. And I, I bring it back on your first uh, outline of that there may be some more measures to come here for the US to actually deal with this problem. Yeah, I mean, I think they've got to wait a little bit just to see the impact of the previous measures before maybe they decide to, to step in again. But I think for me, it's going to be one of those cases where the argument's going to continue as to whether now the dollar weakens off. And when I look at forecasts for dollar and NIMBY specifically, there are a couple of standout ones for me, you know, Wells Fargo saying that we're going to start to move below the seven level. I mean, this is within a time span of, you know, towards the end of this year. And I think, you know, that's probably something that may continue across the board if, if the virus doesn't get under control in America. And obviously their measures for dealing with it at the moment are, are a lot looser than other places, even when, you know, the UK were being, uh, being sort of berated for not being strict enough. And the US has taken an even, even looser tack there. Yeah, exactly. So to stay on on tact with the US, let's look at, I guess, the king of the US, we can call him uh, Mr. Trump. So Alex, let's look at Mr. Trump's favorite communication form, his tweets that we saw. We He was talking in it about a cut of 10 to 15 million with uh, the Saudis and Russia agreeing to that. I mean, we saw oil prices all over the place. It was like a butterfly on speed at the end of last week, wasn't it? Well, I mean, his tweets are just unpredictable. They always have been. So I think you need to price that in a little bit. Um, as, as me and you discussed in the office, Chris, I mean, are these cuts ever going to happen? Who will verify them? What are his sources? You know, we, we can't simply continue to price the market off a series of random tweets from an unpredictable entity. Um, let, you know, let, let's see how, how this uh, OPEC deal progresses, what the Russians and Saudis intend to do going forward. And also not to forget the aid packages that are being put in place by the EU ministers later today and, and that we're seeing globally. Um, it, it, it's, it's unpredictable to, to deal simply off the, off the uh, social, ram, social media ramblings of Donald Trump, I think. <laughs> but I guess to look from um, another commodity to see what's happening, let's look at uh, wet freight. And there you could see a huge move up on that announcement of the breakup of the agreement from OPEC previously, which is now completely collapsed off the news of that tweet. We have lost uh, our May contract on TD3, the AG to China route crude, about half its value Monday to Monday. So that's, uh, you know, I think that they think that what had previously been a huge opportunity to them in terms of rates and increase in pumping, the whole curve moved up all the way to the end of Q3, and that has all come back off again. So in terms of wet freight traders, they I think they're seeing that this is going to be an agreement on Thursday for for what could be 10 to 15, who knows, who knows? 
Um, what about um, Kerry? Let's bring you in here on some of the, the dry routes while we're talking about freight. Uh, have we seen some movements in that in the past week? We absolutely have seen very large movements in that. Uh, in the past two weeks, what we've seen is the uh, Cape TC average, uh, the, the spot TC average, just about double. In fact, just over doubled. Um, at the moment, uh, we have the spot rate sitting at uh, just under $5,700 a day, uh, which is roughly in line with the operating expenses most owners are going to face on those ships right now. Uh, I think the question from here is, having been taken off life support, as it were, just for the moment, uh, is there much room for this market to continue moving up? Uh, we've seen activity slow as people people are getting a bit of a bunker mentality, I think, um, and waiting for the next move, uh, waiting to see a little bit of direction here. Um, I do think that the extreme contango in the market, where we still see that Q4, for example, on the Capes trading at 13,250, 13,300, uh, more than double the spot rate, is still based primarily on sentiment. I think we probably want to see a little bit more evidence that there's not going to be further cargo interruption due to the coronavirus. And at the moment, the evidence is that there may well still be some cargo disruption. So you're hesita hesitantly bearish. I'm hesitantly bearish, exactly. I, I certainly think that it would be a very bold move to continue going long on that back end at a time when, for example, Brazilian iron ore output uh, in March year on year fell by about 2.2%, 2.1%, mm. 2.2%. And we see probably a likelihood of around 18 million tons of iron ore, for example, taken out of the market globally due to various coronavirus disruptions. Um, therefore, I think we need to, to wait a little bit longer before we say, okay, we're going to be out of the woods by Q4. So following up on last week's podcast, let's go back to iron ore. Kerry, can you ex uh, go back onto that topic and explain? When we were talking last week that it had been relatively resolute, even though the virus problems have been in there. Are we seeing continuation of that or have there been new things this week? We are absolutely seeing... Uh, the price still hold up overall, although we are just starting to see a slight drift. Compared to where we were a week ago, that price, uh, the spot price has come down about $1.15 so far, uh, which is not a big fall in the scheme of things. I think people are just beginning to look at some of the potential downsides. We always knew that this was a supply shock and a demand shock at the same time. And I think last week we were saying, we're going to wait and see which one effectively drives this market. At the moment, I do feel like people are starting to pay attention to that demand shock side. The uh, Chinese finished steel inventories are very, very high still. Mm -hmm. I think one of the interesting things to look at is that despite the injection of funds from the Chinese government into infrastructure projects, Infrastructure actually only makes up about 15% of Chinese steel demand. So there's no guarantee that these are going to filter directly through into a very large increase in, uh, in downstream steel demand. And at the same time, you're looking at probably very, very low to nil steel demand from the rest of the world for the foreseeable future, uh, at least the next few months. So okay. in that sense, I think we're looking at people examining a little bit more potential downside here. Ah, quietly bearish again, double t-shirt. I'll get your hat. Exactly. Uh, uh, Phil, to bring you back in on this discussion with more commodity focus, uh, obviously had Kerry talking there about the, the iron ore price, and that will have an effect 
with the US dollar versus the Chinese yuan uh, on that. Do you think there's any going to be an impact in that as we he has wearing his cap quietly um, bearish? Yeah, I mean, obviously, if he's if he's on the bearish side, he's thinking that we'll have a softer and in the in a normal case scenario, which you know is a little bit, I guess, counterintuitive to the thought that if the dollar weakens, you'd, you'd likely see some strengthening there. I think the reality of the situation is that as you see the output increase on the Chinese side, I think you're you're more than likely to see the appetite increase there. I think from my standpoint, you're going to see the dollar weaken the. the the renminbi get stronger and i think the outlook then would mean the opposite but uh, i wouldn't want to take an opposite side on the, on the way that's going to go with someone that uh, is in the market more than i and i think both can be true to be fair i mean i think from a demand side i might be quietly bearish but obviously a, a, a weakening dollar will be supportive of the iron ore price uh, from a seaborne perspective for sure so you know again this is one of those situations where we have to we have to wait and see which has more influence over the uh, over the direction over the coming weeks. Um, Great. I think bring... the interesting point, I was going to jump in and say, I think the interesting sure. point, switching tax slightly for me is this, because you sort of touched on it, is the supply and demand element, right? That's really going to drive everything in the future. And the uncertainty of knowing when everyone's going to be back and demand's going to increase is, is therefore this, you know, the golden egg to the, you know, to the solution. It's how long do we get back on board? And I think... From the way the cases have been going over the last few weeks, it looks very certain that the US, which obviously is going to be a huge part of the demand for for China, is the fact that does Europe get back into play in the beginning of May? Do we actually then start to see people coming back in and then everything pick up slightly more? So I think it's that it's, it's whether the uh, whether the demand picks up is going to be based on how the virus yeah. plays out. I think. Cool. Uh, to pick up on that point, let's bring uh, Alex back into the discussion on this. Um, a huge point of whether OPEC's decision on Thursday will be based on, I'm looking forward ahead, when is all this demand going to come back? Because it's been a huge shock uh, in terms of demand for world, oils, uh, world oil prices. Do you get any sense from what you're reading, what you're seeing, that the decision on Thursday will be a consensus of a cut or a consensus of a, we're, we're starting to agree, but we're going to delay it till next month again, which is a classic OPEC line? Yeah, I think you're quite right. The delay tactic will, m- might well be used. Um, when will demand come back to previous levels? I'm not sure. There's so much in the press at the moment about people noticing that the difference in their local climates that perhaps we are going to see an element of fundamental change where the demand doesn't resurrect and OPEC will have to take that into account. I think OPEC also need to keep their eye on the non-OPEC countries such as Venezuela where we're seeing a little bit of political unrest where the US may gain more influence and how that has an effect on global supply. Um I suspect a cut's in line, but like you said, the the delay is more than likely inevitable for them. And then uh, another one, I guess, of uh, a market which has gone the opposite way. Um, Kerry, air freight, we've seen uh, quite a soar on uh, some of the routes here, haven't we? Absolutely, absolutely. The China to Europe rates in particular have been absolutely jumping. Uh, They've been up 36% over the last couple of weeks, just purely on the back, actually, of those medical equipments and PPE supplies being shifted uh, from China to Europe. Uh, Governments are paying an absolutely massive premium for this. They are effectively writing a blank check to the air freight companies to get those supplies over. And that's been supporting the market uh, in contrast, for example, to transatlantic air freight prices, which have slightly started dropping off now, uh, even despite that lack of capacity. 
signaling just how much trade has fallen off on consumer goods between uh, between Europe and the U.S. And I guess to, to, to go the opposite way, something that I've been looking on is, is fuel oil. And we've had, I think, a first uh, Rotterdam High Sulfur Fuel Oil Index for two days last week dropped below the $100 mark. Incredible. So, you know, this is, again, uh, incredibly cheap uh, and then you're looking also at the high fi spread. So that's the difference between the high sulfur fuel oil and the new 0.5% grade as per the uh, IMO regulations. And that's now dropped to around about 73 to $75 on April. So all those people who saw at the start of the year, the 320, 320 plus, that has absolutely collapsed down to almost negligible levels. I mean, if we're going to move further down with these with these prices, who knows? But that, in terms of impact on the dry freight market, may give it a kickstart into lower fuel oil prices to help it get out of its uh, off life supports uh, and to prove Kerry wrong next week. Absolutely, I mean, on the voyage rates, it's already had that impact, right? So you know, uh, we uh, we've already seen owners move back into some degree of profitability. Um, because of that drop in the prices, whether that in turn gives a little more confidence to market to kick up those TC rates. Let's see. Let's see. Yeah. And again, in terms of more of a general view, we've been seeing uh, on Monday a rise in stock levels. People are kind of seeing this as a stabilization of some of the uh, virus outbreaks across the world, especially in Europe, where Italy's death rate seems to be coming off. And I think that we're getting a general sense. I don't know whether anyone else wants to come in on this point of generally whether they think that there is an end in sight, whether what Phil was saying is the start of, of May where Europe comes back in online. Uh, I don't know if anyone's got a, a sense of when the end is in sight, the golden question. Yeah, I think if I can jump in quickly on that, I think I've been watching equities quite closely over the last few weeks. Obviously a massive sell-off across the board, but I think, you know, in the, from the FTSE standpoint, I think there was a moment uh, just last week, you know, when, when the UK major banks sort of suspended dividends and, and therefore a massive drop on the day, 7 8%, FTSE took a hit. And since that low point particularly, uh, we've seen a rally and, and, and very, very small but sustained steps. And I think, again, it is that comment that investor belief is that maybe this is the turning point in Europe. And there's always... There's always a lag between overselling and then rebuying back into the market. But I think there is a there is a sense that maybe now these huge losses of 25-30% across major indices is starting to turn just a bit, but then people proceeding with caution. Good. And any final points to stop before we uh, wrap up this week's discussion and look forward to next week? Or are we all done and out? I think we're done. Quietly bearish, but hopeful that things turn better. Let's put it that way. I think it's very rare that finance professionals actually hope for a less eventful week, but this, you know, this this might be the time to hope for that. Yeah, a nice Easter week, four-day week, uh, a nice long weekend, and then back in next week with a, a more positive attitude uh, on many fronts, hopefully. But uh, again, thank you very much to our special guest, Phil. Uh, for all his insights on FX and commodities. Uh, to everyone who's returning and their questions. And again, we'll meet you again next week to find out whether we were right, whether we were wrong, and who's been tweeting what for the next week. 
Uh, but again, thank you very much for listening and see you next week.